Yes, we are here. Fat Fish Podcast. I am Brad Grunny Grunberg's aka Snacks. And that is Eric the Fish Schneider. And today's guest, oh, you're gonna love this guy. NFL actor, trainer, all around nice guy. Pete Koch. Thanks, buddy, for being on the show. Yeah. Hey, Grunny Fish. Uh, glad to be here. Appreciate you. Thank you. I'll start it off, Brad. You know, I looked at look back at your resume and of you're the first round draft pick in 84 of the Cincinnati Bengals. But I said, oh, my God, he played at Maryland. You played, you played under Bobby Ross, uh, a, a guy that's, you know, there's a little polarizing figure in the NFL because there was a lot of stuff between him supposedly and uh, Barry Sanders. But talk about your experience playing for Bobby Ross in college. You know, I was, I was very fortunate when I um, uh, was a, a young athlete and I was offered a scholarship played football at University of Maryland. There was a, there was a different head coach there at the time named Jerry Claiborne. And uh, he died many years ago. He was older at that time. And, and uh, I was excited to play for him, but he had a very, he, he was, he came off of the Bear Bryant coaching tree and he was uh that's the real old school, very stern, uh, all discipline, all whip, no carrot, uh, you know, style of coaching. And it was, it was very demanding, which I didn't mind. I don't think anybody really minded that it's a demanding game, but there wasn't any break from it. And after two years, he was actually offered a job, the head coaching job at the university of Kentucky, where, which is where he went to school and played football and started coaching. So he took that and he went back. He wanted to complete the circle at the end of his career. And uh, we all felt lost for a minute, but then uh, in just a couple of weeks, they said we, we, the, the athletic director said we hired Bobby Ross to be the new coach. We said, oh. who's that? <laughs> and where Bobby Ross had, had come from, he had been an assistant coach and worked his way through colleges. But then at, at that moment that they hired him, he was the, he was coaching running backs with Kansas city chiefs under when Marv Levy was the head coach. Wow. So he took this pro style offense that was very successful in the NFL and he implemented it into what we were doing. And he, it worked beautifully in large part because our quarterback was Boomer Esiason. Wow. Oh yeah. A real flunky. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you, what position did you play and how many defensive teams, end? Defensive end. Wow. That's great. And how many teams did you play for while you were in the NFL? You know, I played for three. You know, it's a funny thing when you the, – the, the NFL draft is is really – to go through is the strangest thing. You know, it's – you uh, leading up to – I was projected to be a, a first-round draft pick. You know, so I, I met with a bunch of teams sort of privately that wanted to get to know me. And, like, the Rams flew me uh, out when they were – their practice facility was in Anaheim back then. That was like uh, – and that was like the Vince Ferragamo years. And I also talked with the Jets and some other teams. And um, and the, the Bengals uh, had the first pick in the overall in the first round. And they I was definitely not going to be picked first overall. So I, I, I really had no conversation with that organization. The day before the draft, the Bengals traded down. They they uh, I think it was the. Um, the New England Patriots uh, traded. They they got the number one pick, and they took Irving Fryer, a receiver out of Nebraska, and the, the Bengals ended up with three first-round picks. And all of a sudden, they at the pick number 16, they picked me, which was a total surprise. 
And truth be told, it wasn't a very good fit. And um, I ended up getting cut in training camp the second year. And, but I knew I had a place in the NFL. I just wasn't there. So that was like a blessing in disguise. And I was claimed on waivers by the Kansas City Chiefs. And I was there the next four years. And I got my career going. I was starting defensive end, went to the playoffs. And uh, things went well until I got hurt a couple times. And I had three surgeries, my wrist, my knee. And I was released. And uh, again, the, the silver lining was I was I was claimed by and signed by Al Davis. And next thing you know, I'm playing for the Los Angeles Raiders. Wow. And um, I, I played one season there. That was it. I mean, I was really falling apart rapidly at that point. But Al Davis said to me, I negotiated my own contract with him. You know, he said, Pete, you know, I know you've you haven't played. Uh, I missed the whole season due to these surgeries. Um, but I want to know. Do you have something left in you? What we're looking for here is, is can you back up Howie Long? <laughs> give him a spell and the other guys. And we, because we, we love the guys that we've got, but we think one more piece like you would just make us all better at the defensive line position. I said, as a coach, you can count on me. I can do that. Went into training camp, made the team, and it really changed my life because the Raiders is such a special organization. And I still have relationships to this day. In fact, our mutual friend, Stu Samuels, is very close um, with, you know, the, the one of the all-time Raider greats, Rod Martin, the linebacker, and uh, who's, a, who's a wonderful guy. And, and Stu knows a lot of these folks. We have a lot of mutual friends. And I'm, I'm just honored to be a part of the, the, my, my little contribution to the, the Raiders when they were the Los Angeles Raiders. Mark Sal and Howie Long, just a great group of guys. And they have a very, very, uh, as an organization, the Raiders have the uh, most committed uh, alumni group. Uh, they really look after the former players. doesn't matter if you played uh, one season or 17. They treat everybody the same. And I've gotten to know uh, some, of the, some of the most you know, outstanding men in my life. Jim Plunkett I ran into. I was in Vegas uh, a couple of months ago doing a, a little function with the Raiders and I, and there was Jim Plunkett and to get to know him, it's, it's really quite special. Yeah. Well, look at this. I found this. Look at that. Wow. Read it. Yeah. Read that, read that for us, Brad. Uh, can, yeah. <laughs> Let Pete do it. Yeah. Can you be disruptive? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Mr. Davis. And, and you know, that, I, I can't, that's a long time ago. I posted that. That's a, that's a memory because, yeah. but, but, but truth be told, um, it, it really, the conversation uh, was that, you know, this was before they signed me. I'm sitting in his office in, in, uh, in El Segundo at the, at the, the Raiders headquarters at that time. And uh, he, and, and he says, look, here's how I feel about defensive linemen is, regardless of it's, uh, whether it's a pass play or run play, what I need from these defensive linemen is just to be disruptive all the time, all the time. And I said, I know exactly what you mean by that. And uh, that's, I'm your guy for that. I've got the motive for that. I've got the energy and the desire and, and the will uh, to, to deliver that. And, and that's, I just took that. I had never heard it phrased quite that way before, but I took that disruptive, attitude and I, I put that front and center when I went into training camp and it was a hell of a lot of good uh you know 
defensive linemen in that training camp that were looking for that, you know, that, that role to back up Howie. The, the starting guys were Bob Golick. The, the, the Raiders had traded for Bob Golick from, he had a long career with the Cleveland Browns and they traded for him because they thought he would improve their, you know, prove our station defensively at nose guard. And, um, and they had a, um, a group of guys that were really coached up and really playing hard. So it was, it was, it was an honor to be a part of that defense. Really. Matt Millen was, I was on that team. They had, they were, they were loaded. Oakland's kind of like USC graduating USC. They take care of their own. That's what I love. Right. And if you need a job or if you need advice, they're there for you. And that's the same thing. I went to Arizona, but still USC is a very special school for that. Once a Raider, always a Raider. That's yeah. Yeah. And the one thing that pisses off the Chief fans the most, Pete, yeah, is when just, the Chief goes to the Raiders. There you go. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I mean, every every alumni gets one of these. And there's a there's a plaque on at Allegiant Stadium with Pete's name on it because he played with the Raiders. There's somewhere uh, in that stadium there, there there's Pete Koch in there. And like I said, every Chiefs fan pissed off when a, when one of theirs goes to the Raiders and you and then five years later, Rich Gannon. Talk about you were a piece of history in that 1989 team because Archell became the first African-American black black head coach. And that was that, that had to be great to go through that and watch. And, and you guys were set. You, you guys started out with Mike Shanahan, not great. But you finished with the winning record with Archell. That had to be fun. Yeah, you know, um, that was fun. And, and when Art got his uh, – it's behind me some, somewhere. He got – when he got his first win – Everybody on the team got a game ball, which I thought was really cool. And, uh, you know, we it, the the Raiders were expected to be very competitive that season, 1989. And we came out of the gate. I mean, we talk, talk about stumbling out of the gate. You know, we lost uh, the first three of our four games. And uh, we walked into the practice facility uh, on a Monday morning after another loss. And uh, there was no head coach in the building. You know, Shanahan was not there. And quickly, the buzz was what in the world is going on. And then uh, in, in front of the everybody, the team meeting, uh, Al Davis walked out and says, we're making a change. And uh, we just can't. The way things have been going with, with Mike uh, Shanahan, it's not it's not what I, you know, it's not up to the standard here so we're going to uh we're going to go back to the old ways we're going to hire from within and we're going to make sure that person represents the the silver and black and and there's nobody better than a guy that's in you know in hall of fame representing the silver and black and that's art shell and so he went from assistant offensive line coach all the way to head coach and the next thing you know you know you're we're often often running well you know when al davis says to you can you be can you really back up Howie Long? How about you guys going clubbing in Los Angeles? I don't know if Alzados was still there on La Cienica, but my God, you, good-looking guy, Howie, you know. He's, he, and then all you guys got into acting. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you guys must have tore up the L.A. scene. Come on, <laughs> well, it, I don't know about we, what we tore up, but I know I know uh, Howie wasn't a part of it. Howie was – was, and I think it's I think it's part of why he had, he had such enormous success. He was – you know, Howie – married his college sweetheart so by the time he was his second year in the league he was married and shortly after that he was having children so he was a he would go to practice and go home and practice home and very early on he was he was kind enough to um invite me he says you want to uh 
come up in, you know, my house, my wife's pretty, pretty good cook and uh, meet the family. And I said, yeah. And because I was just single and although I was familiar with LA, you know, I was new to the team and I uh, went up there and saw his, his home and uh, met his family. And uh, it was very thoughtful. I mean, there's not a whole lot of that warm and fuzzy all the time in the NFL, but how he was really grounded uh, as far as us single guys, you know, banging around town. Yeah, it was fun. It was, uh, most of the, most of the time, uh, uh, we ended up, uh, you know, I guess in Manhattan beach, which is pretty close oh, to, you know, the, where the practice facility is, which is not, which is not bad. Did uh, you ever make it to the playboy mansion, Pete? Come on now. I did. No, I never did. What? I never did. I don't, I oh. just, I guess I missed out on that. Uh, you and now, but I, I know you that, uh, the jacuzzi with a couple of girls. All right. I heard different. Okay. <laughs> I didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you, Pete, you know, in the in football and acting, there were always groupies and, and creepy people like fish. Now, let me ask you, he he, you know, he knows everything about you and everything. Do you ever have to get a restraining order against uh, uh, against guys like fish? You know, I mean, you must have had some you know, had, had some groupies. Back well, uh, no is the answer. But I, I will tell you that uh, there is. There's creepy uh, out there. And I'll, I'll give you an example. My, I had a teammate, a very close friend and teammate in Kansas City. And there was somebody telling everybody that he was his brother. Uh-huh. So the players are, are, it's not a secret. You know, it's Art Still. Art Still is a sure. five-time Pro Bowl defensive end Uh Right up there with Howie Long in terms of talent, I think Art Still probably should be in the Hall of Fame. He's one of those guys right on the on the line there, and just a fantastic defensive end and a, and a great talent. And he's a guy married with kids, but there was somebody somebody going around and like doing like very bold things like public speaking and claiming that he's Art Still's brother. Oh, he wasn't those guys. He wasn't. Yeah. And it was, it was weird. And he was coming to the stadium and then playing this game. And uh, so within the NFL, there's a a security division. So, so he reached out to the NFL in New York city and told them what was going on. They get, and they assigned, I think the FBI to investigate and and uh and, and and you know you know shut this guy down there's just more detail to it the guy was really doing some you know some some terrible things and um but there is a, a and the nfl takes that very seriously and there is a a, a a mechanism within the nfl to look out for players that way and uh it's very important um it reminds me of a story that happened to me I go around Vegas saying that I'm uh, Eric Fish Schneider's brother. And uh, <laughs> they take me out back and they beat the shit out of me. And then they leave me there. And then I get up and then I go to the next place and say, hi, I'm uh, I'm uh, Brad uh, Schneider. And then they kick me out of shit. They kick the shit you know why me. he does that, Pete? Because he wants a free meal. That's yeah, exactly. Way That's yeah, why at- I want free food. I'm dealing with two actors right now. One's a comedian. Brad, that's an actor that's been at 120. Thing. Pete had the absolute graciousness to work with Clint Eastwood in the movie Heartbreak Ridge. Talk about that. Talk, is, is that 
is that one of your greatest accomplishments in acting, working with Clint Eastwood? Or do you have any other things you did acting wise you're more proud of? Pete, before you answer that question, how did you make the uh, the transition to acting after you after you left the NFL? And how did you know in the NFL it's my time to move on? How did you know? Yeah. Um, well, you know, Grunny, I actually started acting when I was still playing. I was in Kansas City and I would spend the off season in Los Angeles. And how that happened was I'm from Long Island, New York. And when I was in high school, my senior year of high school, I worked out at a bodybuilding gym. My high school didn't have much of a weight room facility at all. And I knew I was going to play you know, football in college. I was certainly hoping I would. And I really wanted to develop my body. And I was very thin. And I was a skinny kid lifting weights in the basement, reading the bodybuilding magazines. And I, and I actually took my allowance and bought a membership to it's called Rab's Gym in in Limbrook, uh, Long Island, and uh, it was body hardcore bodybuilding gym. And when I was there, I m- became friends with a guy about nine years older than me, like a big brother kind of a figure, pretty pretty not as big as me, but pretty big strong guy. And we became friends. His name's Perry, and he said to me, we, we really became close. He was a good big brother. He had s- supported me like sort of in every way as a friend and a workout partner at times and he said to me and he made his money he owned a small business uh, an ice cream shop and but he goes i'm an actor i have a i'm in the screen actors guild i'm in actors equity i've done off broadway i've done union television two union television commercials he was very proud of that and he goes i'm gonna make it i'm gonna make it and fast forward i go through college and um, he, his at the same time, about four years later, his marriage is falling apart. Something happened with his business. I never really got the, the, the word. And he goes, this is, this is a sign. I'm moving to LA. I'm, 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 I'm done with New York. I need more and I'm gone. And he goes, and I had just finished my first season with the Bengals. And he says, what are you going to do with yourself? You're not going to hang around. And I said, I don't want to live in Cincinnati. I am single. And he goes, come on out here, hang out with me. And he lived in uh, Reseda, had an apartment in Reseda, and I and I moved out and I got an apartment for four months. And um, he said, you can do this. He showed me the sides. He took me to acting class. He said, here's and he, he says, come with me and tag along on an audition. And I watched the process. I sat in the waiting room. I saw everybody sitting there with their sides and I was <laughs> learning and I was watching him. And um, I, I found an agent. And I took, I enrolled in an acting class and I started going out. I didn't have anything on my resume and I would, and Perry would, would act as my de facto, you know, uh, trading lines with, and I was, I was up and going. That's great. That is really great. Cause you had a little something to fall back on and you never knew it while you were in the NFL. Uh, so tell us about working with cleaning. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was just such a break, such an opportunity. So my agent says, uh, and and actors like would understand this. uh, And he says, listen, you got this audition it's for film and it's on the Warner brothers lot They're For some reason, I don't know. They're being very quiet about this. They're not saying who's starring in the movie or who's directing the movie. Just here's the sides and here's the appointment time and go over there. And I drive over there and I'm walking up to the, the, the 
the address, you know, you got your little map because I don't, this is the first time I've been on the Warner Brothers lot and I'm walking and uh, I see people, men walking towards me. I'm like, so I'm at that time, I'm 6'6", 285. And they're like my size and bigger as a guy seven feet tall and some guys not as tall, but wide. And I'm like, and then I walk in the room and it's full are these guys and everyone's reading for this same role. I can see it. They've all got the same Swede sides. And I'm like, all right. So I went in the room when it was my turn and did my thing. And they put that on, on tape and uh, went home. And a week later, I, my agent says, man, you got a call back on that thing. And uh, I go over there and more and more, you know, big guys, not quite as many this time on the callback. And again, they taped it again. They didn't tape it the first time. They taped it the second time. And um, they said, our director's going to, you know, make the final choice. We're just putting you on tape here. And I did my thing. And a few days after that, I got a call. I was cast. And my my agent goes, you are so lucky. You won't believe this. That That's a Clint Eastwood movie. I said, whoa, you're kidding me. Mm-hmm. And uh, off I went. And I, I was I was so lucky. Because um, I in in I wouldn't start filming for two weeks. My character doesn't come. It wasn't shot sequentially, but a little bit. And I don't come in until an hour into the movie. And then I worked for five. My character worked for five weeks. Yeah. I had training camp. And my agent says, oh, boy, we got a problem. Because casting just said they need you all the way through August, whatever it was. And I, I had a hard out because of training camp and they go, my agent goes, Oh my God, you might just lose this because of this conflict. And they, they at their end, Clint Eastwood, who also produced the movie, they agreed to move some scenes around to accommodate me. Uh, so I could, I went from the last day of filming down at camp Pendleton in, in, in uh, San Diego. And I drove back to LA the next day, got on a plane and flew to training camp. So it all happened so fast. But uh, Clint was absolutely awesome. I, they when when I my the day that filming started at for me they had already been shooting two or three weeks, and it was at Camp Pendleton, like I said. And so they said that somebody calls me a production assistant and says they want you to come down, you know, come down a day before, check into the motel, and here's the address, and then your first scene is the next day. I said fine. They said we'd like you to be here by noon. I said fine. I get in the car, drive down. PA meets me at the motel. He says, check in, put your stuff away. They want to, they want me to take you over to the set, which is on Camp Pendleton. So you go like this and it's security and everything. So we drive and he goes, it's over there. So there was kind of a, a hill and then an open field. And then I, they walked me up there, the PA, and there's Clint Eastwood and some of the actors moving lights, cameras, crew, everything going on. And they're shooting a scene. And they said, just, 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 just chill here. And maybe 20 or 30 minutes go by and there's a break in the action and a hundred feet away is Clint and it is hot as hell. And I'm just standing there like this, watching all this. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And Clint, all of a sudden I realized he's walking and there's nobody next to me. He's walking right at me. And he puts out his hand and says, Hey Pete, man, welcome. We're so glad to have you. We're glad you're going to help us out. I think we're going to have some fun. And I appreciate you. And I was 
like wow. thank you i'm i'm, I'm very excited to to be here and um i'm going to give you i'm going to give you everything i got and he says i know you will it's going to be it's going to be fun and and i said to myself and i i would like to repeat that story at times because it demonstrates leadership and when you think of Clint Eastwood, you think of a movie star to a lesser degree, a little bit, you think of a director. And, but he's also the guy that pulled all of the, the strings together and act as, acts as a producer. But he was truly a leader. And it was very interesting to not only see him act, but to see him the, all the other time directing and the grace and with which he does it. He's not the iron fist leader. He's a leader from the front. And he says he wants a quiet set. He wants creative people to be able to be creative. And he asks everybody to just keep it down. And he hires the same crew over and over. So everybody knew the drill and everybody was highly respectful of that. And, you know, he doesn't take, he doesn't make it more complicated. He makes the process of making a film, which is very complicated, but he makes it, I think, a very, and he has a very practical approach to it. One or two takes, let's move on. And it was, it was just a, a joy. Clint Eastwood, Brad, well, I think what Pete's saying is Clint Eastwood would transition into a very good head coach in the NFL, right, Pete? Oh, I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. No, there's no question in my mind he's highly organized. I remember talking to, uh, I became pretty close with the, the first assistant director on that film. And th they have a particularly important role on a Clint Eastwood film because when, and, it, and this was, I, I wondered how this was going to work. So when Clint's in the scene and, and Clint's not one to say, you know, action cut. I mean, I, I don't think I ever heard him say that. He, he's more like, he's more apt to say begin whenever you're ready or, and that's enough. Thank you. And then, you know, it's over. So, but who does that when Clint's in front of the camera? And the answer is the first assistant director who better know what they're doing. And uh, it just adds a, it sounds so simple, but there's, there's something to it. And, um, and, and, and I was talking to him about like, what's Clint's schedule like? like when he goes, he doesn't stop because he's, he's looking at the dailies. He's there's problems on the set. We were shooting in, in uh, Puerto Rico that was doubling as Grenada. And um, one of the, you know, giant in the old days, right? These gigantic Panavision cameras, they're massive and expensive. And uh, we're over here, like in this kind of remote area shooting and it broke. And so it wasn't like there's another one right there. They, it was like on the other side of the island. And uh, so we had to shut it down for like a couple hours and we were in a, a school, a school room. And it must have been 100 extras. It's very hot. It was the middle of the day. And then Clint says the he, he, he spoke to everybody himself. He says, everybody, listen up. We're going to we got to chill for like an hour and a half because our camera broke. Uh, please, everybody, just uh, bear with us here. Well, there was a piano in the room. It was a school and uh, just an upright piano. And a few minutes later, all of a sudden I'm hearing, and there's Clint playing the piano wow. quietly. And everybody, a hundred people, including children and all these extras, young people, and everyone's just kind of leaning in. And he's, he's serenading everybody. Doesn't say a word and just played for probably an hour. 
He's what a true legend. That? He is a true legend. I want to go back. How did you know your time as an NFL uh, player was over? When did you say, was it injury? Was it like, you know, I'm ready to move on, close this chapter and move on to a new chapter? Yeah, I was beat down. Uh, the um, I was actually released partway through the season with the Raiders. And I wasn't surprised because they um, they were kind of between a couple of, you know, backup defensive linemen. And, you know, so when the when you're not starting and you've had a bunch of injuries, a, some other you know bits of the the calculus come into play. For example, if this other guy was four years younger than me, made a lot less money, and the money was small back then, but even it's all relative. He just made less money, and uh, he probably had a higher ceiling. Although he didn't play, he didn't play very long. But they decided to replace me with, um, you know, save a little bit money on that end, I guess. And I think they saw me breaking down and I was I was I was truly struggling. I uh, it's not a good feeling. Um, It's not a good feeling to know that I was playing the game at one level and I just couldn't quite uh, keep it there. After I came back from these surgeries, I just wasn't the same. So I, I think. I think the, I think the, the, from the medical and fitness and strength training, and I think all that stuff is, I know it's much better today. I think I might've had a better chance um, today, but it's a, uh, you know, I played, I I had to slow myself down. It took a few years to really get it where I was comfortable with saying like, the average life, the average career expectancy, uh, career length is in the NFL is 3.2 years. I played six and just go, you know, I got to be good with that. And, uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Me and me and Fish have talked about this. Fish, you, you know, remember we talked about when is it time? You know, Tommy Brady, you know, Aaron Rodgers, all these guys – there has to be a time. Like I didn't like to see Muhammad Ali being pummeled by Larry Holmes in the corner at Caesar's palace, the greatest of all time, Sugar Ray Leonard being popped right on his ass. I mean, everybody has an end and you got to realize that. And then you leave it for the next guy. Right. And look at you, Pete, you went on to be an actor and you're a great actor. I've seen some of your stuff. And by the way, we're going to do something. Uh, Fish told me that he always wanted to be an actor. So I want to write a, I, I'm a writer too. I want to write a scene about a bartender with a big mouth. Okay. And then you walk in, he pisses you off because he can't make you drink because Fish is not a really great bartender. And then you take him, pull him out from the bar and kick the living crap out of him in front of everybody. And then you become the bartender. How do you like the scene? <laughs> <laughs> And then and you put a hat on the end. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so become the bartender. Yeah. Then I get it write it, and then I get a camera. Then I get a chance to sue the bar. <laughs> <laughs> make more money than all you guys. So, you know, Pete. Yeah, that's funny. You know, talk about you know your body breaks down. You knew it was time, and then you get into this business after acting. And by the way, are you still acting? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sadly, we're kind of in the middle of a messy strike that's really the Writers Guild, but uh, but we're all kind of sucked into that right now. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm still at it for sure. 
Well, let me show you. Let me show you a picture of Pete. This is Pete. Pete Koch has got to be what? You got to be about what? 60, 61 years old. How old 60, is he? Sixty-one. Take that out. Man, I used to have uh, a body like that. Nothing. Well, I, yeah. that's not. I'm better looking. I'm. Be, I'm in better. Oh, that's not, that okay. Look at look at this. This is this is Pete Koch because this is what he does. He trains. He get. He, he his body breaks down, but then he decides to get later in life to fix people's bodies. All right. Oh, Check this out. I love um, that. That's great, that's man. And ain't quality of life, Pete Koch. I mean, that's fantastic. So, Pete, I want to talk to you about your passion for training people about taking care of their bodies. Because Brad's famous line, when I first met Brad years ago, 30 years ago, he always said, your health is your wealth. And you're you're keeping people healthy. Talk about that. You know, I've always been interested since I was the, the skinny kid and I wanted to, you know, learn how to build muscles. And I wanted to be a better, not because I wanted to pose on stage bodybuilder, but because I wanted to be a better football player, a better baseball player, which I loved playing baseball when I was younger also. And I knew somehow or another, and part of it was the mentoring. I had a, a terrific high school head coach uh, football team that he had played his college ball at Kansas State and and he was he was strong and muscular and lifted weights. And this was I'm talking about the late 70s. And I graduated high school in 80. So I'm talking about I started building my body through weight training in 1977, eventually joined a bodybuilding gym to go to the next level. And then I was fortunate enough to get an athletic scholarship and went to the University of Maryland, where the strength and conditioning coach, a gentleman named uh, Frank Costello, was a, was a top, top guy in and he was previous to being the strength coach for the football team. He was the head track and field coach. And what was he doing there? He was making, you know, coaching some of the fastest athletes in the United States. They had a great track team at that time. He was a high jumper himself when he was younger and a very good one. And he said, this weight training doesn't just make you muscular. That's okay. That's a, that's a byproduct of it. But what it does, it makes you faster and more explosive and ultimately a better uh, football player who could be what disruptive and I was all in on that and I really committed and bought in because I was like wow here's some real information I wasn't just reading uh, you know the Dave Draper or Frank Zane's workout in a in a bodybuilding magazine I had a real coach and I was I spent more time picking his brain sitting in his office we got along great and I was like how is it that if I, if I can get stronger in the squat that I can run faster. I mean, how does that work? And he started to talk about developing muscle fibers and your central nervous system. And there's an activation there and you have these fast twitch motor fibers and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. So later on, I said, when I, when I was done with football and I was acting, but I need something else to do. And I had such a passion and interest in it. And I said, and I, and I started networking with some of my personal trainer friends and I go, how do I get in? Like, how do I get like a credential or something? And I, I got certified. That was the beginning. Tons of education. I was going back to school. I have many, many certifications, certified strength and conditioning coach. And I was learning the anatomy, the physiology that I needed to know to really understand what I was doing. I was I was very interested in it. But here was a formal you know, we got to study a book this thick and pass a test. And then I said, I, I want to start working with people. And I've heard the question many times, like, do you work with elite athletes? And I'm like, actually, no, 
I don't want to. I want to work with the general population because that's where the need is. I can reach a lot more people and help a lot more people. You know, I that 80 percent of the adult population of the United States is overweight. We need help. Forty two percent are clinically obese. And that's way too much. That's the highest of any first world country. You know, we're number one. We don't want to be number one when it comes to that. But there's something there's a disconnect there between a country that's as wealthy as the United States and people that are not paying attention to their their weight and their health. And those things are, are, are closely connected. So fitness and nutrition is extremely powerful. In fact, it might be more powerful than any medicine if you can get your arms around fitness and nutrition. Um, and if you're really not sure the moves to make, then get a coach. And that's where I, that's where I come in and help people. That's, you know, my nephew, uh, Dylan Holby Fitness, got to give him a plug. He's also a trainer. And you guys are amazing. You, you touch lives every day with people that can't help themselves. And it's just sure. a wonderful attribute that you guys have. And, and, and it's a great business, you know. Um, on our show, we ask uh, our guests something that uh, is kind of important, I think. What would you tell your younger self now that you are 61? You've had an amazing NFL career. You're an actor. By the way, we're going to work together, buddy. You are the quintessential bad guy, man. I wouldn't. I mean, in life, you're an intimidating guy. People do people like in bars, like come up to you. Do they, you know, mouth off? They think they can take you. Has that happened in your life? Not, not, not lately. <laughs> no, no, but, but it has, right? I mean, all these people, you know, oh, yeah. and all these people that think they can take a big guy. But what would you tell your younger self today? Mm, I, I think, um, I think I was a little bit uh, too critical of of myself. I don't think, uh, you know, they say. I didn't learn this until I was older, but uh, uh, what do they say? Perfection is the enemy of good, you know, because you you never get going because you're you're trying to do it perfect. And I think there's some areas of, of my life uh, where that served me, uh, probably served me pretty well in terms of my work ethic when it came to, you know, playing, being a professional athlete. But I think in other areas, it, um, you know, I was always kind of waiting for just the right moment for this or that. And, and um, you know, I remember one time there was a, uh, an investment opportunity. I put some money into something. It didn't go right. It didn't go well. And I said to myself, I just remember thinking, I'm never going to take a risk again on something like this. I'm never going to do that again. Well, what I didn't, I was too young to know. I I wasn't, I just didn't have the wisdom is when I said, well, I'm never going to take that risk again. That was a risk. And so you just get locked. Right. And you can apply that to your personal life and everything. I never want to get burned like that again. Okay. But understand there's a price for that too. So, uh, you know, missing out on opportunities that you probably would have done and you should have done, but because you had that bad experience, sure. Kind of like me being on this show. Anyway, (laughs) uh, 
uh, this is, oh God, you're, you're a great guy, man. You're a great. I mean, Fish told me about you long ago. We go, we got to get Pete on the show. And uh, go, this is great. This I, is I, I follow Pete on LinkedIn. And all of a sudden, Stuart goes, you know, I talk to Stuart all the time. He goes, I can get him on your show. But look, you know, you're talking to the one guy, Pete. I've missed two Raider games in 42 years. You know, <laughs> so I saw you play, and I, I'm, I'm one. And of course, they moved to my backyard in Las Vegas, so I'm in Hogs Heaven. So if the average guy or gal wants to get in touch with Pete Koch and hire you, where do we go? Tell our audience and listeners, our viewers and listeners, where do you find Pete Koch? Yeah, it's it's quite simple. Find your favorite uh, mode of uh, social uh, media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, and and, uh, and just uh, hit me with a direct message or PeteKoch.com. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty just you hit the button and uh, you can send me an email through the contact on the on the on the header. And um, yeah, now, by the way, it doesn't. I, I would encourage that and connect, to connect with me I, because even if you don't need a personal trainer right now, I like to connect and maybe we can offer uh, you never know where opportunities might come from. So um, yeah, please. I encourage people to connect with me. Next time you go on a cleanse, cause you both live in Los Angeles, you and Brad should get together, you know, oh, definitely. Yeah. He'll cleanse himself and I'll cleanse myself <laughs> in and out burgers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work. Hey, Pete. Pete is- yeah, Pete, you're, you're an amazing guy. You know, Pete, by the way, I don't know if you know, but uh, Jenny Craig finally closed their doors, you know? And I was on Jenny Craig for about three months and I lost $2,500. Terrible. Jenny is a con woman. Jesus Christmas. <laughs> I'm using some of my material running by you guys, but uh, we got to get together. Uh, you know, fish, when you come to LA, I think we got to, you know, have a nosh with uh, Pete uh, Koch. What do you think? And, we'll get and Stu. Stu. Yeah. We'll get Stu into your life, Brad. He'll know someone yeah. you oh, know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He probably knows your family. <laughs> he probably does. Okay. Yeah. Or, or I'll be getting a restraining order on, the, on, yeah. on Stu. Hey, but, hey uh, Pete, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, You're an inspiration. My pleasure. And, and, you know, hopefully someone out there will see a guy like you and say, you know what? There's always another chance doing something else. And you you accomplish your dreams. You said you played six years in the NFL. Guys like me would break their arm to play 30 seconds in the NFL. And so would Brad. So yeah. Um, yeah. thanks for entertaining us. It's a pleasure to meet you. I'd like to have you back on the show again. My pleasure, Eric and Grunny, I uh, appreciate you both. You guys, you guys uh, <laughs> got you my pleasure. You need a trainer, connect with this guy. He's a winner. Thanks again, Pete. We got to give you. you a nice hand, buddy. We love you, man. Thank you so Thank much. You. We'll see Thanks, you next Pete. time. Stay safe, okay? Thanks, yes, Pete. We'll do. Thanks, Steve. Later. That guy is awesome. Wow. Oh, wow. That was, no, that was great. He does, man. You were right. He looks like the kind of guy. You want to see a guy six foot six? I'm bartending. A guy like that walks in your bar, you're thinking of two things. Please be nice. Or if something happens, please help me. (laughs) Or at mom's saloon, he would be a great guy at the door because when you see him, you're like, oh, I was going to get drunk and get in a fight. No, no, no. I'm not getting in any fight. But you know what? He's a teddy bear. You you could tell he's a Uh, teddy bear. And and just like you said, you know, we, we, we try to 
bring positivity out in this show. And you see a guy who hit his dreams. He, he wanted to act. He, and now he's got such a, a thriving business helping people. And the one thing I took out of that, he doesn't want to do the celebrities. He doesn't want to do the, the big actors and the right, athletes. Right. I guarantee with his connections, when he says that, you know, he's a, he's a strength, and, strength and conditioning, he could probably get on an NFL team or a college team and make that living helping out. No, he's helping the Brad Grumbergs and the Eric Schneiders, and that's an inspiration. And, uh, you know, I, I, we, we thank him so much for coming on the yeah. show. Oh, How you been? Things are good, yeah. You look great. Uh, you got a haircut. You got a haircut. I want high and tight. What do you think? It looks good on me? You always look good. You look good. I, I, I want John Candy, Dewey Oxberger from Stripes. You like this? If He's they ever do, I know that's your idol. I know yeah. him, Farley. If they ever do a sequel to, to Stripes, so why can't they do another one? Right, you know, right. Who, I don't know who plays Bill Murray. You got to be in for Dewey Oxberger. I hope so. Oh, that would be an honor. Got it. Got to be. Would, I mean, you know who. Don Rickles, my favorite comedian. John Candy, my favorite actor, comedian. And uh, he's, you know, these are the guys that inspired me. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I had a great, uh, great Father's Day. Uh, it was really good. I hang out with my dad, my buddy, and my wing, wing, my wingman. My dad's going to be 91 July 1. How's that one? Is that great? And he's healthy and uh, he's my best friend. He's my hero. He really is. And I love him. And uh, yeah, I got to see my family, which was great. And, uh, I just wanted to send my condolences on your cousin. I know you went, you've been going through a real tough time and I love you, man. And, uh, you know, Brad, uh, he told me yeah. a little bit about him. Very special guy. You know, maybe we can talk a little bit about him. Could you tell us? Uh, uh, you know, we, we went through a lot. Yeah. You know, you, you don't, this is the hardest thing I've ever gone through. You lose, I lost my parents, my mom, my biological father. I lost, uh, you know, a lot of people you have too, but, when you're with someone and you know them, they're only five months apart. You go to camps together, and you sh you know you share weddings and kids and everything, and you talk almost every day. It's rough. So, you know, I'm doing my things grief wise to take care of that. This helps. You know, I have yeah. a positive outlook on life. And he would want me to. He's the kind of guy like you. He he's like us. He would say, you know what? Stop with the bullshit. You know, you'll see me again, hopefully in 30 yeah. years, and that's it. You move on. I want to talk about something. I'm going to jump into your talk about Father's Day. I got to show you a video of how you spend Father's Day. And then I'm going to show you Robert De Niro's action and <laughs> a reaction to it, right? Okay. With a guy that you that that's playing you 30 years ago in Goodfellas. And I want you to listen to what he's saying to you because I don't believe what you did with this ice cream cone with the dog. Hang on. Hello, everybody. We wanted to say hello. We haven't spoken in a while. Tomorrow's Father's Day. I want to wish everybody a happy Father's Day as I have my little daughter here and we're going to have a great day together. And today we're going to do something different. Annie, Annie, how about an ice cream cone for Annie? How's that? We share it. Groundhog, I love you. Annie, another lick. Stay safe. Stay happy, stay well. We love you. How do you like that, buddy? How do you like that? I love it. Well, here's De Niro. Now, now remember, when you watch, this is a scene from Goodfellas. Okay. Johnny Rose Beef is Brad. Don't think about the thing. Think about the... the, the <laughs> watch. Well, fuck, whose name it's on? Are you stupid or what? Did you hear what I said? Don't buy anything, don't get anything, nothing big. Did you hear what I said? What's the matter with you? 
you get excited about? Am I get excited about? Because you're gonna get us all fucking pinched, that's why. What are you, stupid? What's the matter with you? I apologize. What's the matter with you? Sorry. What the fuck is the matter with you? I love roast beef. I'm friends with him. He's great. You let your dog beef. eat your ice cream cone? I know dogs' mouths are... Like, uh, yeah. yeah. Yes, I do. My dog is my daughter, and I love her. I kiss her right on the lips. Is there a problem? You have a problem with that? I got. I, 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 I do kind of, you know, because I know some of the girls... Well, that your dog? You don't kiss your dog? You don't kiss your I dog? I let my dog eat my ice cream cone. No. You know? Listen, I just saw I my dog with his balls the other day. You know what? If if you lick your balls, you licking your balls. We've seen that in the bar. Well, I'm not licking yours, but when you see your dog licking its, you know what, private parts, and I hear try my ice cream cone. That's great. You know what, Brad? This is we talked about fitness. This is not good fitness. Be caught and not be happy. I think that's hilarious. I got to do it, man. Listen, I live my life the way I want to live it. And uh, I'll do it again if I have to, and I want to. So you are yeah. gonna do it. I mean, you know, are you do you do you sit there? Are you the kind of guy that when you're having a dinner with your family and a potato canish comes, you take a bite and give some to Annie? Is uh, Annie is Annie eating on the table? You tell me. You don't think Annie is getting fed under the table? Yeah, baby. Yeah. Got no. I Annie got is my best friend. I love her, and uh, yeah, I share with her. I, we share so, our meals from time to time. Those my dog. I do the same thing. I don't let my dog. I don't take a lick of an ice cream cone. Maybe I'm just a little bit more anal. Different retentive. people. We're different. We have di we're, we're different people with different hairstyles. What is that today? Oh my goodness gracious! It's a mop. You know what? I, I, can. I got. No, it's a I got. I got. Form of the I bird's nest. I like it. No, I like it today. It's good. I don't like it. I don't like that. I don't like this. It's not a good symmetry. The, 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 I said the Buddy Holly glasses. I wish I could play the guitar. No, I do songs. Those are that. those are the best glasses. That are those new? Because are those Costco? Yeah. They are new. That's a good look. I got a lot of comments. Take off your glasses. Take off your glasses. Right. Maybe you do look like. I don't think I look like this guy. I, I think we have to change it. I might have to get. I don't know if I look like that guy anymore. You don't think? Oh, there he is. Well, yeah, you know. But you, yeah. Marv, Marv, no matter what, yeah, I am. Yeah, like yeah, that's me. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, I want to come plugs. Um, hopefully we get something going with some of our projects, but. We have we have a lot of uh, of great people that support this show. We need financing. Yeah. Click on YouTube; it would help us. But someday, this guy, we're going to find something with Johnny Cocktails Entertainment. That is Brad Grumberg's entertainment company. He's involved in a lot of projects, and then um, the best bar in I Vegas. Work, the best what bar do I in Vegas. What? I work the best there. Bar in Vegas, Chuck's Tavern, the best. Oh my yeah, God! Brad will be out. Brad and I are going to go see. Brad got us great seats and go see the great Tony Orlando August fourth. Brad's going to be in that rat restaurant trying our jambalaya and our gumbo, and we're going to time how fast he takes to eat. Matter of <laughs> fact, it's so good. I would suggest he takes those two dishes and feeds his dog. But we don't allow dogs unless they're service dogs in the restaurant. I'm there Wednesday through Saturday night. Graveyard Shucks Tavern, Johnny Cocktails Entertainment. Big supporters of the show as far as allowing us to do this. Will you tell the girls uh, that come to the uh, Shucks Tavern that I'm coming into town? Because I want, uh, you know, I want to I want, I visit with a lot of the ladies. I let them I know that I am single and ready to mingle. Is, or, or no, you, can't, do, you, you don't do that. You wouldn't even do that for me? I need business. But Brad, 
You show yeah. up when you don't show up there. Our our two main vendors, U.S. Foods and Cisco, says what? Brad's out of town. You know. <laughs> I mean, she, you show up there. You can bring a date to that place, right? And yeah. I guarantee you, I get Brad's the most generous guy. He walks into Shucks Tavern. He's throwing twenties to everyone. Even a guy who walks in to deliver the Pepsi throws a twenty to right. <laughs> but it's on a date. I watched him on a date one time. He came in. Uh, I want to say it was August of last year. And he comes in, and I'm watching. The girl he's with goes to the bathroom, and she ordered sliders. There's four sliders, right? She comes back, and she's a little looped. There's two sliders left because he knew she was too looped to realize that there'd be two sliders gone, you know. <laughs> and you're, 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 I, you look, I love you to death. You're great. You when too, it comes buddy. to food, buddy, and it comes to your dog, you share the food with your dog, but you treat your food like a newborn baby. I love that. All right. Hey, well, that's what we do. before it's we great. get out of here, I want I, I love what you said to Pete about um, the longevity of Brady and Rogers and NFL training camps. Thank God. Start the rookies going July 17th. Are you into the Jets like everyone else is? Do you think no. one, you're not no, I, explain? Um, I think that I don't think I don't think the Jets are going to be that good. I don't think Rogers. It's over. Rogers is somewhat of a con man. For me, I don't like that. You know, he's sitting in the dark room. He's doing all this stuff. I'm not a bit. He's cocky as hell. He only won one Super Bowl. Do you really think that he's going to go to the Jets and win a Super Bowl? Absolutely not. He's got. He's got. They're, they're, listen, they have a good team, but I just don't think one good pop on Rodgers. It's done. Over. Finished. I'm sorry. I don't wish hurt on anybody, but Rodgers. I don't like him. I just don't I like. I disagree. I'll tell you okay. what, that's a part of the podcast business is that I love you to death, but I, I agree to disagree. One good shot on anyone. Okay. I, I want to what, what's your finish? You had a chance. Let me retort. No, I want to know why. why. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because the Jets had the fifth, they had the sixth best defense last year. They had no quarterback. Zach Wilson was out screwing all his mom's girlfriends, didn't never went anywhere. And and they just didn't have a backup. Mike White was horrible. And that was a horrible, and they had it just it just didn't work out on offense. If Rodgers shows any of the talent he's had the last 14, 15 years, he will he will take that offense, which is which has gotten Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard. They still have uh, 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 what's it? I, I forgot the name of the the rookie wide receiver they had that one rookie of the year. But you had a great defense. I problem I have with that is I don't like the cockiness. I agree. Is that Buffalo and Miami are still very good football teams. And they're in that division. You know, Josh Allen's not going anywhere. Do I think the Jets will be better? Yes. Do I think they're a Super Bowl team? No. But I will tell you this. We'll get more in the NFL as, as the season approaches. But if I had to say right now, just at the top of my head, the two teams going into training camp that did make the playoffs last year that will next year is the Denver Broncos. I think Sean Payton going there. I think Russell Wilson has a, a bounce back year, Brad. And the Saints, they're in a lousy division. I think Derek Carr and some of their additions in free agency and a good draft uh, could make it into the playoffs. Do you have any any thoughts on that? I will tell you who's going to win the 2025, right? That'll be the 2025 or 2024, of course, because it's going to be in 2025, the Super Bowl. But the 2024 Super Bowl will be the Buffalo Bills. Okay, that's my prediction. You Can't give your me. prediction, and we'll and and we'll bet a dinner on it anywhere in Vegas or LA. I say the Buffalo Bills win it all. That's I it. think right now, until someone could stop, and we're we're saying this on June twenty first, and yeah, we'll do yeah. it now. 
and we'll go back and archive this. Right now, until you beat the Kansas City Chiefs, and Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback I've seen. I mean, Brady's the best, but Patrick Mahomes does so many things in, improvisation-wise and making plays happen that are you watch him play, it's like watching the magician. It's like watching right. Jordan in basketball. Right. Until you beat the Chiefs, it's the Chiefs. Do I like your pick of the Bills? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's over. I think I think it's it's their gear. And it's also luck and timing, right? You know, staying healthy, the ball bounces your way. And I think finally, you know, all those Super Bowls that Buffalo could have won, Josh Allen has something to prove. He should have done it last year, and he didn't. And this year is the year. No, 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 because he, no, he lost that game. The, the no, just game. Give, me, give, me, give me a straight face with no smile. You know who you look like a little bit right now? Who? You look a little bit like James Gandolfini with the hair. When he had the short hair. You think you know, so? That's a compliment. You do, in the face. You, okay, you, you, you had that same haircut for two seasons on The Sopranos. I'm, you know, I'm, talking to a, I'm, I'm talking to a boss right now. I love it. Right. So, real quick, we got about two minutes. You, you, uh, you leave us and give us. We all, people, all our listeners want an update on the writer's strike and give us a quick capsule of what's going on there. All right. Well, the directors settle. They always settle. It's amazing. I always wonder if if the directors have pictures of the studio heads or something. I don't understand. <laughs> they always settle. They never they never authorize a strike. So the directors settled. So hopefully the writers will settle. But we, the actors, we authorize the strike and our contracts up at the end of June. So it's all coming to a head. Hopefully we we settle our our differences. And then the writers settle their differences, and then we all go back to work. That's okay. my dream. I, I just want everybody to go back to work. You know, I know you're a big fan of Mel Brooks, and Mel Brooks saw you as a kid. And this is he wanted to use part of your body as an inspiration for this scene. We'll leave it on this. Say you've had enough. I understand there's a new sheriff in town. Who wants? To That's great. That's your uh, first voiceover. Ninety-six over. Nineteen seventy-two. Oh my god! Oh, oh, what a great scene. Mel Brooks, ninety-six years old. He's still kicking it and still killing it. Well, another number fifteen's in the books. We want to thank. Mr. Pete Koch, he's, uh, he told some great stories. Uh, I'm Brad Grunny Grunberg, a.k.a. Stacks. That is Eric the Fish Schneider. We'll see you next time on Fat Fish. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe. Stay safe. Love you. Love you too, buddy. <laughs>